Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you by HITS Training and Consulting. Next year, August 13th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois, the number one police canine conference in the world, hands down. The most amazing instructors there. Wait till you see the vendor show. If you thought last year was big, you haven't seen anything. There's going to be vendors from every facet of the canine industry, giveaways, everything you can think of, great times during the day, great times at night. Ted and I will be there, Working Dog Radio booth, going to have a good time. Hits 2019. Don't wait. Register now. Hitscanine.net. Uh, it's Ted. Eric and I make no bones about the fact that we love Dogtra. We've been using them even long before they were sponsors of the podcast. Uh, my favorite is the 1900S hands-free. I typically have the remote in my pocket, and I just put the other remote inside my glove or on my wrist, and I can use that thing all day long. It's fantastic. Dogtra is going to continue to be a sponsor of the podcast, and because of that, you guys get a discount. So if you head to Dogtra.com... Any unit over $200, you'll get a 10% off if you use the discount code WDR10. That's Working Dog Radio 10, WDR10, dogger.com. Go get it. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you in part by RayAllen.com. RayAllen.com, your one-stop shop for everything dog-related, not just canine, not just search and rescue, not just civilian sport, and not just pets, all of it. Everything related to a dog you can find at RayAllen.com. Be sure to mention the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. TrueScentK9.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. TrueScentK9.com. Actual explosive odors suspended in silica, not a pseudo. Hit them up. TrueScentK9.com. We here at Working Dog Radio are so proud of our relationship with Southern Coast Canine. Bill Heiser does some amazing work down there in Florida. Go see for yourself all they have to offer at www.southerncoastcanine.com. That's Southern Coast, the letter K, the number 9.com. Southern Coast Canine. Better training better results, better dogs. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Cavalier inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order tell him you heard it here now go get bit hey everybody this episode of working dog radio is brought to you in part by silver state canine 
our good friend Cameron Ford over there at Silver State Canine. They are a premier training facility located in Las Vegas. They have handler schools, trainer schools, and fully trained detection dogs available for sale. Due to their relationship with the Canine Cognition Center at Duke University, Silver State Canine training is all based on proven scientific methods that produce the most reliable dogs. They have yearly seminars and welcome people to attend them. Their staff has over 70 years of combined experience from military special operations to federal and local law backgrounds. Silver State Canine is the gold standard of detection dogs and canine training. Visit them at SilverStateCanine.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Silver State Canine. All right, everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Working Dog Radio. Uh, this is Eric Stanbrook coming to you from Canton, Ohio. As always, is my partner Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what is going on over there? Man, it is cold, like, like way cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. It got down to, I don't know, single digits last night, which is kind of rare for us. And I mean, it is gnarly cold. I still got a handler school going on and we're doing seven day a week courses right now. And even the handlers were, uh, today I was in the bite suit. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. I'll put the suit on. I got no problem doing that today. God bless. It's cold. Um, I saw that it's snowing up there though. So I was like, man, yeah. that could be worse. <laughs> we're supposed to, we're supposed to get that snow palooza today. And, um, they're supposed to start at like eight o'clock and about 10, 10, 10 30, it started and it was, it was going pretty good, man. And then, uh, it turned like it warmed up a little bit and turned to rain and now it's going to drop and that's going to be really bad. Really bad. Ugh. Yeah. That's what happens here. And in fact, last night, my, one of my buddies for Christmas got me uh, tickets to Metallica and he and I went last night to the BOK center downtown. Oh yeah. Like, I'm going in February. No, nice. it's only like three miles from my house. So we went in and it was 50 degrees and we come out and it was 20 <laughs> blowing and I had to call Alicia to come pick me up. It's like, uh, there's no Ubers and I don't want to walk and <laughs> it's way cold. So fun's fun, fun. Uh, other than that, uh, this has been a heavy week of recording. We're doing uh, this episode now and we're doing another one tomorrow, which is going to be an interesting episode. So uh, not a lot's changed. You got, you almost got bit yesterday by the Corso again, huh? Yeah, that's every day with him. Um, <laughs> I, so he, I've had him a week now and um, I can, we're making progress. I, you know, I'm going to do, I'm doing three weeks with him. So I've had him a week and um, he still won't take food out of my hand, which, you know, I'm going to start, start working a little bit more markers with him. And he's just, he's, like I said, he's a fearful, reactive and aggressive, all three. And it's like, man, that's just wonderful. And 140 pounds of pure muscle, but he's, he has, he's real cool to me too, man. Sometimes it's just, um, little things like I, I just touched him today and he about jumped out of his skin. I'm like, dude, relax, buddy. So got to work on some counter conditioning on that stuff and get him going. But, um, yeah. other than that, I can't, I, my goal is to get that big son of a bitch on my treadmill. Uh, it should be pretty fun. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, still working police dogs. I got a couple, you know, in the kennel. I got some, a lot of things going on. We got some seminars coming up here real soon. We do. Um, San Antonio. We got Bravo 3. Then we got Pittsburgh. We're going to be busy, man. Real yeah, busy Yeah, March is going to be gnarly. So speaking of which, you can catch up with us on Instagram at working underscore dog underscore radio or on the Facebook at working dog radio. You can catch me at Ted underscore Summers on Instagram. I don't really have a Facebook, so um, not as a public one anyway. And Eric, where are you? Uh, Van S K9, V-A-N-E-S-S K9 on Instagram, Van S K9 Academy on 
Facebook. More of the police working dog stuff on Instagram, though. And then the um, kennel side um, for me is Torchlight Canine, letter K number nine. And it gets a lot of cross posts from my personal page, um, which is a lot of the stuff that we're going to be doing at HRD. I've been writing some scenarios that I need to forward to you and Ray for the courses. And I got one that has a dude with an axe in it. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. And for, for those of you who are listening going, why do you guys give your Instagram stuff at the beginning of the episode now? And it's because we, we figured out that tons of you awesome people are following us on Working Dog Radio, but then don't follow Ted and I on our on our business pages or personal pages. So uh, we just figure you're not listening at the end of the episode, so we got to get it in early. Yeah, and speaking of which, we also have the Patreon page, uh, which is uh, where you get access to Eric and I to kind of answer questions. Uh, we've done a couple of phone calls. we got another one scheduled. I need to do one with Ethan Marquez about his uh, call-off that they've got going on down there where we'll either call and talk to you about problems you've got or whatever, and then we have training information that we do, whether it's puppy work or bite work or whatever it is, but it's exclusive content that we do. So it's kind of a supplement to the podcast. And we give away rad patches, which is really cool. And free, or not, well, sometimes it's free. Well, yeah, I mean, we just gave away two uh, doctor collars. Uh, doctor came back on as a sponsor for the next six months. And um, yeah, they hooked us up with a bunch of stuff. So we gave away an art and we gave away a 1900 uh, S, both hands free. So um, by the time this airs, those should be already to whoever won. Uh, we picked them tonight. We haven't announced it yet. But yeah, so um, about that was only for our Patreon members. It was in a contest we ran just for them. So, um, yeah, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and then just look for Working Dog Radio. Super easy to find us. I've got a bunch of videos i got to upload and edit. Uh, about finished hype, her little hunt exercises series that should be a four- or five-minute video uh, spanning about two, about six-ish weeks. So, yeah. So who do we got cool. tonight? All right. So uh, I'm real excited about tonight's guest. It, actually, in the um, – so we're recording this on – on Saturday, the 19th, and the president just did a big speech today about uh, his plans for border protection and, and border wall funding and, and what he's going to do with uh, Customs and Border Patrol and, and uh, the courts and everything else down there. So we have with us Donald Blair, or we'll call him Don. Don Blair. Don is very well known in the uh, working dog community, especially on the detection side of the house. Uh, he is a full service dude, but his his resume is pretty uh, insanely ridiculous amount of training, handling, supervising, and everything of detection dogs of all facets. 32 years in this business, you know, 20 plus years training, handling dogs, all kinds of things. So without a, any further ado, we're going to go ahead and introduce Don and Don, welcome aboard. Guys, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. Great. I know you're busy as heck, man. I appreciate you taking out some time. So rather than me reading off your, your resume, let's let's have you talk, you know, from you can go back as far as you want in your life to where you got into dogs and how it all started and, and then kind of where we're at here, the cliff notes or whatever you want to do. And then we'll go from there. Well, I've had, uh, I tell everyone when I'm doing seminars or we're doing work, I've had a really, really blessed career. Um, I've had some great mentors. I've worked with some just stupendous handlers some awesome dogs and of course you also learn a lot from the assholes that you crisscrossed along the way so i have to give them a little credit where credit is due i, <laughs> yeah. I actually started with right. uh, 
<laughs> I started with dogs um, when I was about eight years old with uh, 4-H. It's like a uh, farm group for uh, agricultural counties and stuff. And uh, took my raggedy-ass uh, shepherd to uh, the 4-H obedience clubs and kind of got bit by the bug. As I was growing up, I did some AKC stuff, obedience and show dogs. By the time I was 18, I was going to, uh, I was living in Colorado Springs. That's where I grew up and went to high school. And, uh, of course, Ray Allen is based out of there. They had uh, their vice president back then was a uh, decoy for the Colorado Springs Police Department and uh, also kind of ran a Schutzen club. I hooked up with him. He kind of showed me some of the ropes for uh, decoy work and track laying. And uh, I went to college in Durango, Colorado, and immediately... Oh, man, at Wasted State? (laughs) Yeah, now it is. Um, I, have, I haven't actually been back in about 15 years, and my sister warned me I would hate it, so I don't know. But I hooked up with a uh, dog training school when I was going to college, and uh, they were doing some detection, police, and shoots and stuff. I turned 21 at the police academy in Colorado and uh, worked a dual-purpose patrol narcotics dog for about five years. I joined Customs and uh, started out in El Paso, Texas, did that for a couple years, and uh, was fortunate enough to be selected as an instructor and uh, went back to Front Royal Virginia as a instructor. Um, after about nine years, I left, came out to the border, um, was a canine supervisor down in Arizona and got promoted to branch chief over in Nogales, Arizona and left that to go to the evil private sector, came up here to mm-hmm. Chicago and was a quality control officer for a large private canine company. Uh, went back to customs after uh, about two and a half, three years of that and uh, was was uh, in the research and development and uh, overseeing the breeding program. And then after that, I left the final time after about 21 years of service with Customs, and I've been in the private sector doing kind of my own thing with my own business or working for other people, doing consulting and that kind of stuff. And okay, thanks. Have a good night. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so did you do, um, did you have something to do with the Naval Special Warfare uh, training program? Yeah, we have the uh, um, when I was uh, when I went back to the private sector um, after I left the breeding program for customs, um, I was down at Auburn University working for uh, another company. You guys have talked to one of the the owners of the company, Mike Ritland. Yes. Uh, we developed a basic course for the West Coast Navy SEALs. We ran one of the courses there with some of the dogs, and of course, I won't go into all the details, but uh, we had a great time running the course, and uh, then we all moved on a little bit after that. You were there with Wayne Dodd too, right? Yep. Wayne and Mike were out um, actually for the same company. Uh, They were out on the West Coast and then I was the the other team member that was there at Auburn, all working for the same company. Um, I just happened to get detailed to Auburn, and that's where we did the uh, the basic course. Uh, all those, I think you guys have also, I'm sure you guys have interviewed Mike Settle, and that's where all those dogs oh, yeah. came from. Yeah, yeah. I worked that contract for a little while. Uh, after when uh, the next company got it, after Wayne and Mike, I went out there and worked that for a while. And there were still some of Settle's dogs out there, and the dogs that Wayne had. And at the time, they were doing all the basic stuff on the East Coast, so. Everybody went to the East Coast, so all I was doing was more of the advanced stuff. But um, we had heard Very cool. your name all the way back then, too. Yeah, I mean, it's 
such a pleasure to work such high-caliber dogs. You know, the, back in the old days at Customs, we got 100% of our dogs from uh, animal shelters and dog towns. And while I was there, I uh, had the opportunity to work on a process improvement program. And uh, we, we went to uh, about an 80% dog buying program out of Holland. And it improved our graduation rate from about 51% up to about 85% just by using, you know, better selected, more genetically suitable dogs. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. So, you know, everyone kind of associates Border Patrol with just like Brownsville, Texas or San Diego or whatever. Right. So um, what they don't understand is that you guys have patrol, explosive, narcotics, search and rescue, currency, firearms. You even have agriculture dogs. So in the broad view and and for that matter, Customs and Border Patrol canine program is the largest in the country. It may be the largest in the world. I have to go back and look. But um, I don't know, like last year, what was there like 1500 team? I don't remember exactly the numbers. I like I looked it up, but it is the largest canine law enforcement organization or well it's the largest of its kind in the country for sure um so in the broad view border patrol covers what with canine obviously the stuff that i mentioned but i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure i left something out so i have to go back a few years because uh i was there during the merger so you had uh when they created homeland security you had two completely uh separate programs u.s border patrol and U.S. Customs, and through the uh, through Customs and Border Protection, they did a, a forcible merger on that, and um, so we had two standalone programs with very, very different operational requirements and stuff, and very, very different training methodology. And so when they were squished together, immediately we lost the the Legacy Customs lost our 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 head guy uh, was removed uh, for some political reasons, and Border Patrol basically took over. So when we talk about those programs, um, you know, the patrol dogs of Customs and Border Protection uh, were phased out in the 70s, but Border Patrol had Bortac and some other uh, patrol dogs. All of the explosive dogs were dropped out when uh, when that merger took place. And then, of course, uh, narcotics and currency. Uh, Border Patrol had a SAR program. Customs had a firearms and currency program. And then Customs also adopted the agriculture program. So yeah, there, it was a, a ton of stuff going on immediately. Yeah. As it stands today, how long have you been out of Border Patrol? I left in 2010, okay. so it's been quite a while since I was at the breeding program at the headquarters in Front Royal. Okay, so as it stands today, Border Patrol has a lot. Uh, it's definitely one of the most diverse law enforcement agencies in terms of canine in the country. I mean, I know that they've got dogs that do like weird mold and stuff for agriculture, and then all the way to on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the Bortac kids, which those are definitely not mold dogs. <laughs> Yeah, for so. sure. They, uh, when I left, we had just under a thousand dog teams nationwide, and I know they've they've certainly grown since then. Yeah, I think they had a uh, what's his name, um, one of the directors for Homeland Security was in front of Congress last year, and they said they had fifteen hundred teams and they had three hundred and four trainers that certified all those teams and whatever or that maintained the teams and everything through throughout the year. So, uh, so for example, on any given day, like just pick a point of entry, how many cars are getting looked at or how many like vessels or whatever are getting looked at at a single point of entry so of course it always goes back to the the bottom dollar and uh it's not a large percentage 
They, they just don't have the coverage. 24 hours a day, even at some of the bigger kennels and uh, uh, ports like El Paso, Texas, you're probably still only talking maybe 20% get a full canine inspection. Wow. So then... I talked to a uh, customs dog handler and she was telling me that um, she works, you know, uh, an inbound line and then her dog gets, you know, they get tired. She's working in Nogales or wherever it was. They put the dog up and then she stands there and has to do it without the dog is, I don't know how effective you feel that is nowadays. You think there should be uh, maybe a little bit more of a rotation there or, or is it hitting what it hits? So, I mean, I used to run the, the port of Nogales and, and all of the satellite ports there in Arizona. The, uh, the issue always comes from uh, whether you want to be a visible deterrent or whether you actually want to go get bad guys. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the uppers that were not familiar with uh, the dog program, they just wanted you to stand out there whether your dog was dead-ass tired or not and, and use you as a visible deterrent, thinking that, you know, the smugglers will see the dog and then take it somewhere else. I, I learned kind of the rope from one of the first directors of customs, and he said basically, fuck the smugglers. If they want to try and come through we want fresh dogs and fresh handlers and we want to arrest everyone that we can and so that's my take on everything uh, it's just now you know with with the budget cuts and with everything else and also with some of the changes in the in the training methodologies and the applications you just can't be everywhere at the same time it's it's hard work you know a lot of law enforcement and i i, I say this uh, frankly because i've worn both hats you know when i was in uh, when i was state and local police if you were pretty proactive, you made a couple of stops tonight and uh, maybe went on a couple of warrants. Um, at Customs, you know, you might search as many as 500 to 1,000 cars a day in sweep and then do another uh, 60 cars that we call intensive, where you're actually going inside the car and inside the trunk. And, I mean, it's a full day when you're working down there on the border. Ugh, man. So, in turn, obviously narcotics, but um, outside of narcotics, what did you guys see? Because I know a lot of those dogs are taught to find human odor too so as far as running that Nogales station what did you guys see in terms of firearms and or human smuggling in vehicles with the dogs so it's interesting that um you know the um human trafficking and narcotics come north and then currency and firearms go south and yeah. so we actually had two different dog programs um our currency firearms dogs were trained on both of those odors and they worked in the outbound lanes for the vehicles leaving the u.s and then the inbound lanes um, were human odor, narcotics odor. And they, you know, again, it's just the, the hit and the miss. If you were out in what we call our pre-primary area, uh, sweeping cars, we were really, really successful with that in uh, Nogales. And uh, when I was, even back when I was a handler, um, all the way back in the early 90s in El Paso, that was always what we kind of considered our bread and butter, where the dog is the tip of the spear going out and locating the stuff with no information, uh, Nobody's talked to the driver, and it's all canine-related seizures. Nice. As the largest canine law enforcement agency in the country, probably the world, selection, testing, and training and maintenance is obviously an extremely important portion of that job um, overall. And as we sit here in 2019, the much-touted Border Patrol test, like, 
everybody just kind of talks about it as a vendor. Like Eric's a vendor, I'm a vendor. Um, you know, I, I know. I mean, you know, I, I know several other guys that I would consider vendors, and everybody's like, oh, the Border Patrol test, the Border Patrol test, the Border Patrol test. There was an article in the New York Times May of last year that talked about the Border Patrol having a lack of dogs. Now they have their own breeding program, and there's another, you know, everything else. But the Border Patrol test is notoriously difficult. Um, so can you kind of outline that for us now? Yeah, the uh, the difference simply between the old U.S. Customs test and the new Border Patrol test, you know, a, a dog smashing into a copper pipe has absolutely nothing to do with his ability to locate or sent out narcotic or human odor. They're looking for dogs that are based on their their rudimentary and foundation, uh, which was based on the old German program of the PSP program out of Germany. And they've never, ever changed this. They've won some court cases, and so they've never changed it. But, you know, certainly a dog that can pass that test can do wonderful things. But you don't need a dog to pass that test to also do wonderful things in detection. Right. So, and that was kind of my next question, and you kind of led into it. So, the copper pipe. The Dutch are notorious for sending Americans videos of puppies and green dogs, whatever, biting this copper pipe, right? And it's all over Facebook. It's all over Instagram. Like, you know, there are several vendors in the United States that are like, oh, he's a metal dog. Like, it's even gotten his own name now. And when you trace this thing back, like, you talk to Ritlin, you talk to Subtle, you talk to some of these other guys that were kind of part of the early days of these, you know, some of these filling this thing like post 9-11 which we'll talk about in a little bit you start to hear this test and this term it's a copper dog it's this it's that and the other so when you trace it back everyone attributes this copper pipe test to border patrol and there's a myth or there's a story or there's something that goes around about how this was started so what's the deal with the copper pipe test with border patrol so the actual roots don't even come from uh, border patrol they come from holland right. um if you go to their if you go to their drug dog school, they have square stainless steel pipe, and that's what their dogs are given for their reinforced. But again, the uh, the full-on copper pipe test um, is is in the gray area because the labs don't have absolutely have to do that, but they do have to pick up like high pressure hoses or other you know they, they want a dog that will pick up basically anything for their reinforcement. Yeah, and that's you know that's sort of what we say here, but you know there's a lot of people that like. I mean, if they and you like you just said it a minute ago, you know if the dog it, it, him having smashing into a copper pipe has nothing to do with his ability to find narcotics or people or whatever, but there are people that will sell a dog or will sell you that. And I know police canine trainers that are like, well, if you want to play with a pipe, I don't want him. I'm like, huh, well, I, Okay, I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. So, I mean, yeah, he doesn't like holding the copper pipe, but he'll hold anything else in his mouth. And, you know, so, I, you know, it, it was one thing, like, when I when we decided you were going to come on, I was like, oh, I got to ask him about the copper pipe because everyone was like, oh, Border <laughs> Patrol. So kind of like. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I'm not a fan. I can tell you right now. I mean, I trained hundreds and hundreds of dogs with a rolled cherry cloth towel, and none right. of them would pick up a copper pipe. I'd put them against any copper pipe smashing dog on 
the planet. It's, right. You know, you're because one doesn't have anything to do with the other. The dog's capabilities for detection work has to do with the dog selecting its own reinforced. And I, you know, a dog that can smash the copper pipe, probably a really good dog, but he's also not for every hand. Correct. Yeah, that was kind of something I wanted to address. So, I mean, you, you answered it like fantastically. So, kind of in that same vein, that the Border Patrol test is notoriously difficult. Um, I, I know vendors that have gone down there with 20 dogs, and you guys, or well, I say you guys, but Border Patrol has bought two out of that 20, right? So, why yeah. does Border Patrol have such a high wash rate compared to other agencies, which we'll talk about TSA in a little bit, but, you know, what's the what's the deal with the testing? I mean, why is it so difficult? The, I the, uh, again, I, I can only speak to when I was there with the program, but um, it's a really, really hard program on the dog. It, like, the, uh, you know, they've got a thing called the chin chop where you smash the dog up underneath the bottom of the jaw to make him fit, and so you're, you're selecting a dog that's a, a 10 plus and then putting him in a program that's going to beat him up and test his metal. And again, this is Don Blair's opinion, and, and I lived through it, but it uh, doesn't have anything to do with the end product of a dog going out and seeking out and hunting for narcotics and explosives or whatever at a really great uh, skill level. And so a lot of just the, the machine that is Border Patrol chews up and spits out a lot of dogs. That's why their collection test is so hard. So uh, we're going to take a break for just a second, and then uh, we're going to come back with Don Blair and continue to talk about uh, Customs and Border Patrol and talk about some other stuff. So we'll be back in just a second. Hey, guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media at Van SK, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer, I own dog daycare, and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out. rayallen.com. They've been doing a long time. Great customer service, super high integrity at that place. rayallen.com. Put in promo code Working Dog Radio for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. RayAllen.com. Get on there. Click everything you need. Ship it all at once. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Hey, everybody. It's Ted. Let's talk about training and conferences. We know training budgets are always tight, and that's why the crew from HITS goes the extra mile for you. Let's be honest here. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like HITS. It has now gotten so large that the 2019 HITS will be held at the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. Experience matters when it comes to putting on a show like this and when it comes to police dog trainers. The guys who run HITS are still working police dogs, just like you. There's going to be three full days of training with five classes in session at a time. Toffers are going to range from patrol work and dog selection to case law to search and rescue to canine first aid and everything in between. They had 1,100 people in attendance last year in D.C. and are planning for more this year. And it wouldn't be a conference without the vendors. The McCormick Place has enough room for 100 vendor booths. You can meet the people that make the equipment you guys use every single day. The vendors make coming to hits an experience like nothing else in this industry, plus the free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Last year, they gave away about 40 grand in cash and prizes from vendors. I expect Chicago to be bigger. So come join the crew from Working Dog Radio in Chicago during the week of August 13th through the 16th at McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I know 
know handlers, and I know you people wait to the last minute to do everything, don't be that guy. Head over to hitscanine.net. That's the letter K, the number nine, to get registered and save money on your registration for doing it early. There's also information about the discounted hotel rooms. That's August 13th through the 16th in Chicago. If you didn't write it down, we got the link in the show notes. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. 9 Pro or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether it be poppers and droppers, whether it be e-collars or now, They've got the new GPS one, which Eric has been playing with, and he really, really likes it. So what I want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com. You get a 10% off of any item over $200, and you use the discount code WDR10. That's just like the initials of the show, Working Dog Radio, WDR10. Hit them up. Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number 9, training.com, and make your unit better. Let me take a second and talk to the explosive handlers here. Everybody knows that HME is a huge problem now. And the problem with training on it is that it's extremely dangerous, and a lot of times you guys only get access to it a couple of times a year, which is not enough. Nobody wants to handle TATP or HMTD. So, enter TrueScent Canine. That's TrueScent, the letter K, the number 9.com. They manufacture an actual odor, not a pseudo. It's an actual explosive odor suspended in silica. So, they do TATP, HMTD, RDX, TNT, PETN, ammonium nitrate, potassium chlorate, and they do a distractor odor too so that you can proof the dogs off of the training aids, but it's actual explosive odor suspended in silica. It's safe to handle. 
You're not going to blow yourself up. You're not going to endanger anyone else. And the dogs, through verified testing that TrueScent has done, will alert on both the training aids and then actual HME odor down the line through training. So hit them up. TrueScentCanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, TrueScentCanine.com. All right, we are back with Don Blair from Canine Intelligence and from former Border Patrol. Um, we were just talking about the border selection testing and why it's so hard. And, you know, everybody claims to have a Border Patrol contract, which means that they're going to go to El Paso and fail. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. So in that same kind of thing, after 9-11, because a lot of, like, there's some similar themes that you mentioned that a lot of our other former guests who you actually mentioned have said, too. So what happened um, at Border Patrol with K-9, specifically post-9-11? So, the, again, we're talking about that merger, right? So mm-hmm. you have three standalone uh, organizations. And basically, if you would take a look at the Border Patrol book and everything it said to do, and then you looked at the U.S. Customs K-9 manual, and it said everything everything to do, they were completely opposite of each other. You know, you would never, ever smack a dog at U.S. Customs. You would have been getting your walking papers that afternoon. And with Border Patrol, that's just part of the machine, and that's just a small part of the, the machine that um, they have dogs. So the uh, just the, the fundamentals were really, really off. And so when Border Patrol eventually took over all of canine and border protection, with the sole exception of agriculture, they have their own school down in Florida. Now it's been moved over to uh, Georgia, uh, Noonan, Georgia. And they do all their own, they do all of their own training separate from Border Patrol or Customs and Border Protection, although they still wear those uniforms. But that that, uh, training is completely separate. So the the Customs dogs, are they prohibited from using e-collars? Yeah, Legacy Customs was absolutely, uh, it would be forbidden. With Border Patrol, I know especially with the Bortax dogs and some of the other uh, training um, it's, it's part of the, the normal stuff. It's a lot of, like I said, a lot of the uh, the myth and the misconception comes from a lot of people not understanding the two standalone uh, training centers that were forcibly merged together. Mm-hmm. What is the genesis you think of the of the anti e collar? Is it just some guy, a couple guys way back in the day are like, I'm not, we're not using these things, and it's just permeated well, still to this day. There, there was no, I don't think that at all. I just don't think with the uh, the methodologies that you used at customs, there would never have been a reason to use a, a e collar. There, there wouldn't have been a situation where an e collar would have been the tool to fix that problem because those problems never existed. Uh, okay. You did a lot of work with TSA in all aspects of what they do, I believe, through their Amtrak stuff and everything that TSA is involved in. Is that correct? Yep. I still work with them every week. That's awesome. So post 9-11, everybody we've talked to, you know, their phones went insane, you know, everyone blowing up. We need a billion bomb dogs all over the place. <laughs> but may- maybe I'm wrong on this, but I just, for some reason, and I, I feel that TSA is is just now really starting to take it seriously or maybe not seriously, but realizing the true value of the dogs. And now we're hearing, you know, they because they have the private contractors that are going to be providing dogs and things that they have to have like 10,000 dogs now available or something like that. But why do you think it's taken TSA so long to really realize they're who we really want using bomb dogs? I, I think there's it's a really, it's not going to be 
uh, sexy, but it's a really simple answer. They were mandated by Congress um, to be searching a certain percentage of all of this stuff. And um, so they got the dogs done for the most part, but then there's a lack of dogs. Um, so that's why you saw the split in their program from passenger screening canines that could also find body bombers and do all of the other stuff to basically cargo screening dogs. And then uh, now they're trying to wash out or get rid of all of the cargo screening dogs and turn that over to the private sector. But it, it was just one of those, we've got we've to get as much as we can done with what we, the resources that we have, and we'll take care of it later. And, you know, I know several of the TSA trainers, I work with them every week, uh, great guys, but, you know, when you have that mass of dogs going out and uh, their handler selection, remember, they, they're getting guys that are working from screeners and other places. They're not dog people per se, and so they're really, really adding behind the eight ball um, with, uh, you know, getting handlers up to speed and uh, handlers kind of having a basic dog knowledge. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, now they're, they're recognized, certainly the training issues. They've got many more trainers out there. Um, but, you know, e even here, the guys are tasked with, uh, you might have one guy for 20 or 30 dogs doing maintenance training on all those dogs. It's a very, very tall order. Yeah. I, I agree. TSA still doing their stuff at Lackland? Yeah, they, they do subcontract some stuff. I know when uh, when I was at Auburn with the other company, uh, we had a TSA contract for um, their uh, passenger screening dogs. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, Vapor Technologies has the patent now. And so that's also one of the differences. If you have a passenger screening dog that wasn't trained by Vapor Technologies, you can't use that terminology, Vapor Wake. Um, it has to be trained at uh, the center there in Aniston. Private sector, you've been quite busy. Tons of different aspects uh, of it. Um, one of the things I'm really curious about, because you involved in a lot of dog behavior and searching behaviors and things like that, and we've had, we had Cameron Ford on, and I've listened to him on a bunch of other podcasts, and he talks about um, handlers influencing dogs, you know, giving them the dog's information, whether they realize it or not, you know, maybe cueing the dog or at least have, you know, the direction or where, like if he knows where the hide is, the handlers always look at the hide and the dog always works in the area that he's looking at. Um, but you've done a ton of work with military as well in special operations. Do you see that same kind of thing on military as you do LE or is it just two different animals? No, I mean, the the, uh, the stuff that we worked with with uh, the teams and uh, the times that I've been around the military, um, they have all the same issues. It's, a lot of it has to do with the operational requirements, and I think trainers not recognizing early on what those operational requirements are going to be for the end product. And so, you know, in the in the old days, just a lot of law enforcement was copying the military. It's what I call the block and tickle method, right? You, you mm -hmm. stick your knee in front of the dog's head, and you show him every fucking screw hole on the vehicle until he finally comes across the odor, and then he sits or or downs or whatever, versus a dog that has been trained to a certain skill level that is out in front of the handler, leading the search, actively hunting the odors, and that dog is armed with the skills to know to go high and low and deep and actually perform a three-dimensional search without the assistance of the handler. And so in those instances, you have a lot less opportunity for the dog to fault or, uh, or, or I fuck the handler or whatever, you know, whatever terminology you want to use because you 
you've armed that dog with those training skills. And, uh, you know, it's just like when people talk, uh, a lot of people talk about certification. And, uh, you know, they're basically running these elaborate odor recognition tests that have nothing to do with the operational requirements of the dog. Huh, what a shocker. The NORT test does not have anything wow. to do with the operational requirements. No but kidding. No, Everybody sure. runs that damn thing. thing. I tell people all the time, I said, you have to stop selling these certifications as somehow equitable to a deployable standard. And people look at me like I have a dick growing out of my forehead. <laughs> no, it, no, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's really laughable if you're in the, I mean, if this is our profession, it's just laughable. So you've got to hit all 10 odors in, uh, in these totally fucking artificial scenarios rather than I only need to see a guy run a couple of bags in an unannounced, unexpected method, or I stick him with double-blind testing where there's no possibility of, of the cheat. And if it, you know, it uncovers a bunch of information, but these elaborate odor recognition tests have dicks to do with, you know, real operational requirements. And tons of people, I mean, uh, Kenny Licklider bought a, an airplane hangar, I think, just to for to train the Nort test. So, so that he, you know, because of the contracts and stuff. Cans, cans, cans. Well, and I mean, cans you know, again, you, uh, like I, I told you guys, I, I've been, uh, maybe I, I should just preface it with I'm old, but I've been around <laughs> when some of this stuff was, was being developed and the north test was kind of an argument between the FBI and ATF on uh, you know who was going to actually take over the explosive dog world so they all settled on the north test and it was supposed to be the test that was done before you did an operational requirement test just to see if the dog knew odors and then it just exploded into the standard of excellence for explosive detection dogs it was never meant to be that yeah no. it, you can tell i mean <laughs> Like there ain't yeah. it ain't that fucking hard. <laughs> like No, but you know, when when other guys are are judging your your cam test that again you know it, it it's a simple odor recognition but they make it more difficult and then they keep on you know the pressure oh my gosh if you miss one you're fucked and it, you know again I think they should go back to test the handler in their work environment on their work stuff and uh, give them some scenario based training do double blind testing and the dog teams would elevate magically overnight yeah, yeah of course yeah. overnight that's how that works. <laughs> hmm. So we have a lot of handlers that listen to the show. One of the things you've done a, a lot uh, in the private sector is done some um, expert witness stuff in canine cases. So talk about, if you can, what you see, uh, like right now, the types of defense attorney tactics that you're seeing that are tripping up like handlers, like not expert witnesses, but are things that are really messing up some handlers in their in their testimony. Well, I think, um, you, you know, you guys know being in law enforcement that it's a very, very sensitive subject when this information is potentially available to the, the dirty, nasty defense attorneys. Um, but uh, most of the stuff has to do with them hiring a bogus supposed expert witness, and then they're going to start throwing out all these terms of uh, operant conditioning, and uh, their train, training records are probably the biggest thing that I've seen that absolutely just shoot people in the foot. 
because they we're dog handlers and we're dog trainers, and that doesn't translate into an expert scribe when you're writing down your record. And unfortunately, that's where they get us. I, I, I was doing one case back when I was with Customs uh, for a police officer in Tennessee on a suppression hearing that his dog was like 32% reliable, and they went right back to his training uh, record, and um, they were trying to use his field notes from actual stops on uh, the reliability of the dog. And so when I was in court, I was able to convince the judge that that's a very, very bad place because it's, nothing can be proved or disproved. It's a funny thing, but fucking criminals lie. So <laughs> corroborating evidence with the driver of the car is horseshit. And whether it's positive hmm. or negative, right? Your dog gets a hit and he says, oh yeah, I had a buddy that smoked weed in here. Well, you can't fucking believe him. He's a fucking criminal. And so you, he probably has dope still in the car. And then on the other side, maybe he's saying that because he's got a dead body in the trunk and he wants you and your drug dog to leave him alone. But the putting down a myth and then documenting where you fixed the myth, putting down your uh, your distractors, really, really crossing your T's and dotting your I's when you're doing your training records and making sure that you're covering those bases. Take away their take away what they're going to use for you. So, um, you know, if you're not training on blanks with saran wrap and duct tape and fabric softeners and documenting those that your dog didn't hit on those, but he did hit on the training aids that were placed. You know, one of the last couple things that I've heard was about uh, the training aids and amount, um, you know, simple things that we kind of take for granted. But when you get into a courtroom and they really, really blow these things up to like, they're so important, we can't believe you didn't pay attention to it. But if you simply document it in your notes, um, in your training records, you're going to be just fine. So I went, you don't know this, probably I uh, was a cop for a long time and I just retired a couple months ago and I was a canine cop and, and trainer. And in my last year, I got called into court twice as a witness. Both times I brought in the training record for the dog and each each one was about the size of the Chicago phone book. And I came in and I dropped it on there and that pretty much ended the, ended the suppression hearing right there on the spot. Um, and what we found out was that one defense attorney hired a an a supposed expert I, I'm, I think he was in New Jersey or someplace he was a former commandant of the state police and he wrote a huge <laughs> opinion for like 5,000 bucks or $8,000 or something like that this opinion on how to fight canine cases and he wrote in his thing ask for their training records cops are terrible and they're horrible at keeping training records that had to have come from somewhere and as you know you, you see it if you're not documenting stuff like that you're going to get eaten alive but if you have your stuff straight it it pretty much puts an end to it right then and there like yeah. that's a huge yeah, argument sure. off the table you know especially with the advent or, you know post 2013 with uh florida versus harris which is a records case by all accounts and you know if for any handlers that are listening to this if you send us an email to host at working dog radio I will send you, and I actually managed to get a hold of a document from a well-known defense attorney in El Paso that is, quote-unquote, a canine expert and is in the federal court district down there as a defense attorney. Um, I have his um, document that he gives to attorneys. It's a 40-page document about how you attack canine 
reliability and what their tactics are. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but if you are a canine handler and you were listening to this and you send us an email at host at working out radio from your official whatever dot gov dot police whatever email, I'll send it to you. And here's what it comes down to. People are more scared of a good attorney than they are of, of a bad dog. And I have yet to come across a really, really good attorney that understands what it is that we do as handlers and what we do as trainers. Your records, and this is what I preach to my guy. I got a handler school going on right now and I, I'm yelling at my guys every day. I'm like, your shit needs to be consistent. And it needs to be consistent in the fact that if you're going to misspell a word, then misspell it the exact same way for the next six years. Misspell <laughs> and do everything the same way. And if you need to, go in with your captain or your lieutenant or whoever, have them type up a form letter, a form for how you need to fill in everything that has environmental conditions, how the dog alerted, everything so that the wording is exactly the same so that they can't tell the difference. I don't want your records to look like they're handwritten and then some of them typed and everything else and looks like a fucking hodgepodge and you write it on a napkin and stick it in there and whatever else. It needs to be clear, concise. You need to use the same acronyms. If you're going to use an acronym once, always fucking use it all the time. And then it doesn't necessarily need to be explained in records, but if they start asking like, what is this acronym? You know, what, you know, what does this mean? And then it's consistent through the entire record. My home department uh, here in Tulsa, uh, probably one of the best run canine units in the country. Very professional, very, very old, um, you know, boarding 40 years old. They, um, when you read their reports, you can't tell who wrote them other than the signature at the bottom or the officer's name. Uh, they use the same form, the same terminology. They use the same verbiage. They use the same format. They use the same acronyms. I mean, it is literally, and we have a lot of dogs. I mean, there's like 27 dogs or something ridiculous. So those guys, they have their shit dialed and that's where you get hosed is your records. And with the advent of Florida versus Harris and the importance of records in general, you guys as handlers should be able to walk all over any dickhead defense attorney, even good ones. I mean, I have friends here that are really, really, really good defense attorneys that know fuck all about canine stuff. And canine is a teeny, teeny, tiny portion of it. And there's no reason that you guys shouldn't be up on your case law that's relevant in your state and then also your district federal court system or your, your district federal court, I guess, basically. So whatever federal court you're in and also like national Supreme Court stuff, but keep records clean, keep them well, keep them consistent. And then <laughs> just as you don't necessarily have to answer anything from an attorney unless they overtly ask. And if I if I could add one thing or a couple things to that, first off is if you're having issues in training, do not style away from them. having having yeah. an issue with dogs or having an issue I mean firearms has issues vehicles have issues radios have issues it's not unusual to have a dog issue just document how it was corrected and then God forbid nobody put down that your dog's a hundred percent there's nothing in the world that's a hundred percent when a defense attorney looks at that and your dog hasn't had a miss in six years you're gonna get fucking barbecued yeah yeah, you know, you're I, right. I they, they bring it up all the time, all the time. They're like, uh, so you're going through your records here, and uh, he never he never misses. He never doesn't, never walks the odor, never finds it. And then, because the way my form always was, was a, a click, clickable form that had um, what we did, if it was acceptable, unacceptable, but then we had a notes section at the bottom. And then I would put in there some notes about, you know, missed um, one hide of, of marijuana out of, you know, four or something, whatever it was. And, um, 
Um, they never look at the bottom though. They never read the words. They just want to try to line up the little check marks and say, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying your dog's a hundred all the time here. Right. And you right. know, that's the thing that, and that's the thing I always tell my handlers too, is that, to, you know, I don't remember what the exact is. I have to go back and read the case. I have to go back and read Ford or Viserys. It's 90 something percent. When we had Ted Dawes on, if you go back and listen to the episode, the first time we had Ted Dawes on, uh, he talks about what that percentage is and how you don't have to go cal- go back and calculate um, like reliability percentages anymore because of that case. Uh, if you go back and listen to that episode, I don't remember which one it is. It's in the teens that uh, he, he outlines it pretty clearly. But, uh, you know, one thing that I try and try and hammer into my handlers is that there's a difference between teaching a dog. And this is something that, that I have them practice saying and writing all the time is my dog is taught to alert to the odor of not the presence of. Yeah. And that is a huge legal and fundamental difference. And because they're like, well, has your dog ever alerted and they're not big drugs there? And you're like, yep. And they, in shithead attorneys, account that as, quote unquote, a false alert. And then we need to get rid of that fucking term now. There is no such thing as a false alert anymore. So just because the dog alerts and they don't find anything doesn't mean the odor is not there. And the dog is taught to find odor, not physical material, which is a huge fundamental difference. And explaining that to some shithead that went to law school is a lot different than explaining it to a handler. And I have various means that I use to describe that to people that are what I consider lay. But that's a huge, huge argument because they'll walk their goofy ass into court with their, you know, their shoes and their tie on. And they'll say, hey, you know, this dog alerted and there wasn't anything there so how can we trust it and being able to accurately articulate if you are a handler that my dog is taught to find odor not presence is a fundamental skill in in report writing that you need to have so uh, let's go forward with what we got going on present day with you you're founder of the canine intelligence academy um over there in illinois uh you want to talk about what you can about what you're doing over there i i mean right now i'm doing uh I, I used to, it's just kind of funny evolution. In the, in the late 80s, early 90s, I used to go around and do decoy schools and everything else. But when I got to customs, kind of, even though I was still involved with a lot of the bite work or tracking, I, I just kind of got painted into the corner with uh, detection. I'm not complaining about it. I love detection. And um, I've absolutely devoted, you know, the, this last portion of my career to it. But um, the uh, we I'm doing some cadaver work with several search and rescue groups around the country. Um, I'm doing a couple of seminars on uh, problem solving. One of the things that I just kind of wanted to touch on, I was I was invited to HITS this year, and um, I'm going to be speaking on uh, not really anything groundbreaking for me, but I, I've kind of uh, put together over the course of the last couple of years a breakdown of behaviors for problem solving. And I've been using it now for about close to seven years and uh, kind of finalizing it, and it's just worked wonderfully with uh, all of the, the police dogs or the search and rescue dogs that I've had um, in seminars and at work. It just really helps to laser focus your uh, training problems and uh, and gives you kind of a, a recipe on how you can fix 
So rather than, you know, in the old days, we, we kind of had a shotgun effect that we would work on all of the entire detection instead of just the problem areas. And so I've broken it down um, from the, the very beginning to the very end and uh, all of the areas in between with exercises that will shore up those. I, I like to tell my students that I like, I'd like for you to think of this detection exercise like an inkjet printer so I can pull out the magenta, refresh it, and plug it back into that behavior chain, and it will be stronger. And rather than working on a detection from start to the end, there are several behaviors in the middle that transfer as the detection goes on. And um, like I said, I've had really good luck with it. The folks that I've been working with um, for the Chicago Police Department and Amtrak Police Department, Federal Reserve, have all really, really been kind of my test kitchen. It worked really, really well for them. Well, how convenient then that hits us in Chicago this year. <laughs> yeah, no Perfect. kidding. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ted and I are going to be home. there. Yeah, we're going to be uh, there. Ted and I will have a boot for Working Dog Radio there, and uh, maybe we can get you uh, on live, do a little quick little podcast interview in between the classes. Um, so w- real quick, besides hits, do you have any other things you want to plug? you have any conferences? you have any other uh, schools that you're going to? Um, I'm, uh, I'm actually running – you guys don't laugh when I tell you this, but uh, – Mike Suttle and I are running a chicken camp uh, this year uh, coming up in, uh, I think it's uh, late March, um, but I'd like to plug. I think it's already filled, but we're going to be running a damn couple it. more this year. And, I want to uh, go to that. Also- God yeah, damn it. No kidding. So do I. Uh, the, the chicken thing is, aside from the fact that it tastes better that. than dogs, but I mean, it's great for learning proper timing, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, I can't tell you how, mu- how many people just absolutely scoff that off, and it's it, it's one of the best training methods without fucking up a $7,000 Malinois that you could ever get to. I wonder if I could use it to do this cane corsos before he kills me. A <laughs> <laughs> can of corsos is not a chicken. I'm a, probably I'm a, probably yeah. end up feeding him baby chickens. I could. I'll mark, I'll just, what I'm going to use is the clicker to mark when he doesn't bite me. He walks by me. Click. Good job, buddy. Yes. All right, man. Uh, well, Don, I, I really thank you for coming on, man. I know you're super busy and uh, you're old like me, so it's probably close to your bedtime at 7:20 over there, even though it is a Saturday. Well, I'm, I'm doing evals. Uh, we've got our uh, Amtrak evaluation starting tomorrow morning, so I'm actually staying downtown Chicago tonight, uh, which worked out perfectly to chat with you guys. So, if we get a chance, guys, I'd love to talk to you guys more about uh, you know training and uh, less of the history of all my old ass stories but uh i thank you guys so very very much for having me on and uh, i appreciate it very very much Nah, yeah we'd love to have you back on it'd be great uh and you know we can kind of pick up where we left off so for everybody listening the you know this has been awesome uh hopefully uh, we'll make some don will make some time to come back on so uh yeah don it's been awesome we'd love to have you back on and kind of pick up where we left off but yeah we appreciate the time Thank you guys very much. Have a great night. You too. You too. Good luck tomorrow, bud. See you. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. We love USA Canine Dog Toys. They are inspired by military objects and built to withstand the demanding use of professional canine handlers. USA Canine Dog Toys are made in the U.S. from adorable super chewer rubber compound. Ted and I love them and use them all the time. Go check them out at www.usa-k9.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up, specifically for guys on this podcast. 
if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely. And these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. Since 1987, Bill Heiser and Southern Coast Canine have been providing better training, better service, and better dogs. Bill personally hand-selects every dog in Europe to ensure that the quality is always up to his standards. Every employee at Southern Coast Canine is charged with being a guardian of their values. Those values guide both their business and personal relationship. They believe that their dedication to the fundamental tenets of honesty, integrity, and fair business dealings ensure a legacy of success. So when you or your canine unit is looking for that dog, the one that will perform at the highest level, be sure to give Southern Coast Canine a call at 877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647. Let them know that Eric and Ted from Working Dog Radio sent you. You got your reasons I got my wants Still got that feeling but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.